Turn with me to the book of Acts again. This is the third week that we've been looking at the book of Acts. And two weeks ago, we looked at the second part of the first chapter, looking at how the early church went through a process of choosing a leader. And then last week, we looked at the first part of chapter one, and we're reminded of the purpose that Jesus gave the church. We are looking week by week at some aspect of the early church's life as a model for us today here in Marin County. And so today we're thinking about the power that God provided for the church. But before we jump into chapter 2, which is our primary passage this morning, I want to go back to that one verse that we really looked at very closely last week because it gives us a hint of what's happening now in chapter 2. Turn back with me to chapter 1, verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8. And there are two important aspects of this verse that really shed light on what we're going to read about that took place in the day of Pentecost. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This verse lays out the whole outline of the book of Acts. Jesus tells the church what their assignment is what their purpose is. They're to go and to bear witness. And he says it specifically in the sense of a growing cultural geographical spread out from where they were. Beginning with Jerusalem, the city they were in, the holy city, but then now spilling over into the surrounding area to Judea, mostly Jews, and even into Samaria those people there who were partially Jewish, but both now ethnically and culturally and religiously separated from the Jews. And then he says, even to the ends of the earth. But he's told his disciples that he is about to go up to heaven and that they are to stay in Jerusalem first because something very important is about to happen. They are to wait in Jerusalem. Wait expectantly for God to send them His Holy Spirit. So, turn with me now to the second chapter of Acts as we read these first 13 verses and see what happens. Now, it appears there were approximately 10 days from the time Jesus gives them this instruction in chapter 1, verse 8, and the beginning of chapter 2. So for 10 days, the church has been gathered together, praying, seeking God, trusting, waiting on Him to give them this incredible gift that He's promised to them. Jesus talked about it repeatedly. Now He's told them it's about to come. And so now 10 days later, we take up the story In chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. 
And tongues, like flames of fire that were divided, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own languages the magnificent acts of God. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What could this be? But some sneered and said, they're just full of new wine. <laughs> In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon certain individuals that God has chosen to speak for him and to serve him. Often at times, even with those special prophets and kings that he had chosen, the Spirit just came on occasion, though in some cases the, the, the Spirit seemed to fill the lives of men for long periods of time. But it's been a long time since there had been a prophet sent like that. So these Jews knew about the Holy Spirit. They knew that He was the presence of God. But now in a new way, God was giving His Spirit to His people in a way that had never been done before because now He was giving the Spirit to all who had believed and were following Jesus. It says that this came in an audio-visual presentation. They were literally waiting on God to bless them. And I believe God wanted to make sure they knew when it happened. He sent first this sound of a great rushing wind. It must have been very loud because even other people were hearing it. And it says it filled the house where they were gathered together. And then after the sound, there was also what appeared to be tongues of fire. Fire. And the fire came and even rested on each one of them again. Showing them that it wasn't just one or two who was receiving this gift. Every one of them was receiving this special gift of God's presence, the Holy Spirit, in their lives. Now, wind and fire made sense. Because throughout the Old Testament, we see that God's presence was often identified with wind. Or with fire. Both. And so now, both in an audio version and in a visual version. They were seeing that God was endowing them with this promised presence from Himself that they had been waiting all of these days to receive. Now, this appears to be something extremely unusual. 
We don't see or hear anything like this about the flames of fire or perhaps even the sound of the wind. But now we see at this point, really, the birth of the church. The church composed not only of those who believe in Jesus Christ, but who now have been empowered by His Holy Spirit. This is a new era. A new era of God's people led by His presence. You know, Jesus came into our world, Emmanuel, God with us. God come in the flesh and He lived and walked among men in a specific time and place. He was only in one place at one time during that time because He was in the form of a man. God with us. And now begins a new time where God is not just with us. God is in us. Now, this particular manifestation that takes place here in Jerusalem first, in the gathered church, those who are already believers, it takes place here in chapter 2 to those who are believers. But again, this is in Jerusalem. Now, if we back up and look at this outline of the book of Acts that we mentioned in chapter 1, verse 8, the first seven chapters of Acts focus on the fulfillment of this purpose in the city of Jerusalem. Chapters 1 to 7. It's all focused on this city. And so now the Holy Spirit has come to that first church. They are the very first church in the city of Jerusalem, and now they've received the Holy Spirit. But we see unusual manifestations of the coming of the Holy Spirit several other places in the book of Acts. For instance, in chapter 8, we're told again that the gospel spread beyond Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, and that's actually chapters 8 and 9 in the outline of this book. Chapters 8 and 9 show the gospel spreading out from the initial core place there in Jerusalem to Judea, mostly Jews, and now to Samaria. Samaritans, those people the Jews didn't get along with that well. People who were ethnically and culturally separated from them, And so in chapter 8, the gospel jumps into Judea and then is taken into Samaria, just as Jesus told the disciples to go. And when the first Samaritans believed in Jesus Christ, they did not immediately receive the Holy Spirit. It was when more witnesses came from Jerusalem and were actually there to witness it and prayed for them Then they received the Holy Spirit in some dramatic way, maybe similar, not quite exactly like Pentecost, I don't believe, but in a way that was visible and a testimony, I think, yes, to the Samaritans. It was a testimony that they were included in God's purpose and that they were real believers and they were now the beginning of a Samaritan church. But I think even more importantly, it was an audiovisual for the church in Jerusalem to realize that God's grace was now extended beyond the Jews and beyond Jerusalem. Now God's grace has reached the Samaritans and they are his children and they also have the Holy Spirit. We see in this book then chapters 1 to 7, Jerusalem, chapters 8 and 9, Judea and Samaria. And then beginning in chapter 10, the story focuses on all the nations. 
The gospel is spreading, as Jesus said, first in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and now to the whole world, to all the nations, to all of us. And so in chapter 10, we see another kind of special manifestation of the Spirit coming, but this time in the home of Cornelius, a Roman, a Roman soldier, politically, militarily, the enemy of the Jews in Jerusalem. And yet when he and his friends and family and his household hear the story about Jesus. Even before Peter could finish the sermon and invite them, God let Peter off the hook because the church might have been mad at him. But they just went ahead and believed and the Holy Spirit came on them and again a visible way that Peter knew without question that God's grace was now extended beyond just the Jews and just those who were like the Jews and the Samaritans who were close neighbors, now even to our worst political and military enemies, to all the nations. If God can pour His Spirit among the Romans, then it is now open to all the nations. And then one more time, we see some kind of unusual, visible it appears, Manifestation of the Spirit when it came upon a group in chapter 19, verse 6. I think that this is a special, uh, this particular one is again a message to all of us and to the, certainly to the church at that time. For in the city of Ephesus, there were twelve who had heard about the message of John the Baptist. Now what John said was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming. Repent of your sins and submit yourselves and turn to God. And as a sign, a symbol of your repentance and readiness to hear whatever it is that God is going to do, you're going to be baptized. You're going to profess that you are submitting. Well, now the church finds a group of people who had heard that message from John and some had been baptized by John as a sign of repentance in preparation for Jesus. But they had not heard that Jesus had actually come. They had heard the promise that something was coming and they were prepared, but they had not yet heard about Jesus. And so the Christians now were able to share with them the story, the rest of the story. Jesus has come. He's died for our sins and He's risen again and ascended to heaven. He's coming again. Jesus was the fulfillment of all that John had warned us and prepared us for. And upon hearing that, then now, even these disciples of John, baptized for repentance but without awareness of all the gospel, now they've believed and they also receive what appears to be a visible sign. Now, these four places in the book of Acts, I believe, are historically unique. The first one, the very first time that the church is drawn together and empowered by the Spirit in the city of Jerusalem. Now, as the church and the gospel expands out beyond its original cultural and ethnic location, 
out to the Samaritans, assigned to both them and to the Jews, that all are included, and then to the Romans and to the whole world, and then eventually even to those who had heard pieces but had yet really not heard the gospel about Jesus. They too were coming to Christ and were receiving this spirit. But as we read the book of Acts, the primary result of the Spirit's presence that we see repeatedly through the book of Acts is not this kind of unusual manifestation, this kind of audiovisual presentation that we see in these four places. The primary result we see over and over again is that as God's people come under the control of the Spirit's presence in their life, they are transformed. And they are empowered for witness. Their ability to fulfill the purpose that Jesus had given to them to be witnesses to Him is fulfilled not because of their own ability, not because of their own courage, but because the Holy Spirit is working in their hearts and fanning the flame within them so that witness comes out in a mighty way. So, who is this Holy Spirit? Jesus had talked about him a lot. Look in John, the 14th chapter. We read earlier, we heard earlier about uh, one of the places that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. Look in John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, comforter, companion, To be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. Jesus had explained to his disciples. I can't be with you physically forever. It's actually better if I go. So that God's presence comes to you. Not just God with us. But God in us. This word translated here. Paraclete in the Greek. Means one called alongside. One who is with us. And in my translation here, it says counselor. Some would say companion, counselor. I like the word companion because that seems to me to be closest to this idea that he is one who is with us. We don't have to ask him to come. He lives in those of us who believe. And he does comfort. He does counsel. He does guide. He works within us. And he is our constant. Friend, Look with me in Ephesians, the first chapter, because Paul talks about this coming too. And he explains, when is it that this happens to those of us who are not at Pentecost? This is after the initial giving of the Spirit to the church. When does it happen for us? When does the Holy Spirit come into our lives? And Paul lays it out very clearly there in the first chapter of Ephesians. Verse 13, in him, that's Jesus, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, in him, when you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. The word that Paul uses here is we've been Stamped with the Holy Spirit. It is God's signature 
the promise of our full redemption in Jesus Christ eventually. And Paul says it very clearly. This happens the moment that you and I believe in Jesus Christ. Turn with me and look in the book of Titus. Paul in chapter 3, probably quoting one of the early hymns in the church at his time, one of the most beautiful statements about what Jesus has done for us, I find in these verses, Titus 3, verses 4 to 7. Listen to what the Word of the Lord says. But when the goodness and love for man appeared from God our Savior, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This Spirit He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. We see in this passage how God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together for our salvation. When we believe it is actually the Holy Spirit who comes within our hearts and effects the actual personal redemption that takes place in us. He is the one who gives us life, spiritual life in God. He is the one who renews us and makes us into someone else. And I love what Paul says in verse 6. This Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He has poured out on us abundantly. You know, many times we have the sense that the Holy Spirit is like some impersonal power. Uh, He's not the force. He is God. When we believe, we don't just get some little tiny bit of Him. You know, like, oh, when I believed, I got 1% of Him. When God gives us Himself, it's all of Him. He has poured on us abundantly His presence. He, in one translation that I love, it says, He has lavished the Spirit upon us. More than we could ever imagine. He has given us His very presence. Now, as Christians, sometimes we think, if I could just get more of the Holy Spirit, you do not need more of the Holy Spirit. He may need more of you. You don't need to somehow think, oh, if I could only get more of God's presence. God is there. If you've believed He's in your life, He's in your heart, He never leaves. Every day, because we have a tendency to take back parts of us, maybe from His control, we may need to give more of us to Him, but we don't need more of Him. He, God, the person of the Holy Spirit, is in our hearts and lives today. Interestingly, we see in America today that uh, it seems like the Christian community has divided up the Trinity. 
We've got some churches that you might, most of them we sometimes refer to as the mainline denominations, uh, which is actually a very old term, sort of out of date today. Most of the mainline denominations aren't mainline anymore, either theologically in numbers. But in those churches, they will often talk about God in generic ways, and, or maybe even God the Father. Although, these days, more and more, uh, many liberal Christians are really uncomfortable even referring to God as Father, even though He was revealed to us this way in Scripture. You, you know what I'm talking about in American life. We sometimes talk about God in this very, very generic way. You know, you've heard it on television. You've heard it even in prayers. Uh, pray to your God, whoever you conceive him or her to be. I, I think that's blasphemy. But there are some churches who are comfortable talking about God the Father and not so much about Jesus, the uniqueness of the Son, our Savior, the only way of salvation. So then we have another group of churches, evangelical churches, that will talk a lot about Jesus. We'll talk about the sacrifice, the, the, the resurrection. We'll talk a lot about Jesus, but... Perhaps we may be at times a, a, a little bit shy about really talking about the Holy Spirit. And then we have some churches that many would refer to as Pentecostal or Charismatic who talk a lot about the Holy Spirit constantly. And they seek Him as a daily reality in their lives. Just like these verses that we just read in Titus, God's intention is that we live every day aware and seeking God our Father, who created us and had an eternal purpose, a kind intention for each of us and worked out salvation for us before the world began. Only because of God the Father are we here. And only because of Jesus the Son who came to live with us and then die for us and was resurrected and is with now the Father. Only because of Him. Can we have a relationship with God? But the daily presence of God in our lives, once we believe, once we follow Him, is God's Holy Spirit given to us. We shouldn't be afraid or hesitant to refer to any of those. We need a Trinitarian daily walk with God. Our Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit who lives within us and is here to bless us. It appears at times that we American Christians have a tendency to naturalize our faith to the point where it's almost spiritless religion. What is Christianity without the Holy Spirit? Leading, guiding, transforming, whispering, comforting. What is this faith that we have without this awareness and our cooperating with the Holy Spirit, well, it turns into essentially attendance and rules. Attendance and rules. This is what many people in our community think all Christians are about. That's what they mean when they say, I'm interested in spiritual things and not religion. When they think religion, they're thinking attendance and rules. This is not what God is offering us as followers of Jesus. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about an emphasis in our lives this year of spending time with God, of reading our Bibles and praying, 
And I hope and pray that many of you are, are continuing to do that. But here's the problem. If that simply becomes something that's an obligation that we're going through, we'll quickly tire of it and lose interest, probably. Or just grit our teeth and get through it. When the reality is, the Holy Spirit is waiting on us to seek His presence, to speak to our hearts, to teach us, to transform us, to draw us into His presence every day. That's what that daily time with Him is all about. It's empowered by His presence who's calling us and waiting on us to seek Him. The other thing we talked about was being a witness, just like we read about last week, of being surrounded by people all around us here in Marin who have no idea what God is offering them through Jesus Christ. And for us to give a witness of that. But there again, in our power, in our wisdom, in our courage, we are most likely not going to do that. But the Spirit will. The Holy Spirit will take us and fill our hearts with fire. Some of you have experienced it in the last few weeks. You sense God saying, give a word for me, and you did. And the moment that you opened your mouth, you felt the Holy Spirit take control of you and say things perhaps you weren't even aware that you could say. You see, this is the life He's calling us to. Trusting in God. Grateful for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And walking day by day in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Who convicts us of sin, who cleanses us, who transforms us, and who teaches and leads us and uses us for His presence and purpose. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that we are your children and that you are in our midst today. Teach us to be sensitive to your leading. Help us hear your voice daily. Help us stop and listen and ask, what is it that you want in us today? God, I pray that we will be living day by day in the adventure of walking in faith by your Spirit. Transform us, Spirit. Empower us, not for our glory, but glory for the name of God our Father, Jesus our Savior, and the Spirit who always lives within us. Amen.